Hey, what's up, everybody? This is the Legendary Tales. We are on episode, we think, 39. And I am here. I am Isadora, one of your hosts. And as always, I am joined by Adam. Hello. Who waved because he forgot can, what this medium is. You can see me. And we are on a mission to try and get a few podcasts in the bank before Adam disappears off to celebrate Christmas with his family in the States. So yep. we are back doing this. It's almost like we're professional. We've never been able to pull it off before. We did. We pulled it off when you went away for the summer. For someone on lockdown, you're not doing a great job of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving after lockdown lifts. That's true. You are leaving. You are, and you, yeah, you're I'm, doing it properly. Doing you are it, doing yeah, it legally. I'm doing everything properly. I'm going to be um, safe. So, although he's told me I have to stop telling him about the rates of yeah, infection in America. Freaking ridiculous. Every, every 35 seconds, I turn around Heather or, sorry, Dora or her mother, Heather, um, turn around and they go, you hear the rates in America are really bad right now. And I go, yes, it's not going to stop me from leaving. I still have to technically leave. They're like, yeah, but like one one person's dying every minute in the States. And I go, thank you. That's really alleviating my anxiety. So if I sound a bit frustrated with Dora today. There's a legitimate reason for it. Yeah, although, of course, it sounds like you're being sarcastic about the horrific events that are happening all around the world right now. It does not sound like that. It absolutely doesn't sound like that. I have every reason to be incredibly frustrated <laughs> when two people are like, well, we, we really care about, about what you're feeling right now. And they both go, you know, you're walking into like a death trap, right? Welcome to the Legendary Tales, where we solve our familiar issues, <laughs> familial, familial issues. issues online. Online, on, on the microphone. In public. Yes. No, um, my mother's doing it because she does not want Adam to leave. It's not going to stop me from leaving. Which, you know, is totally understandable, obviously. And uh, I'm doing it because I just <laughs> feel the need Because she forgets. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I just tell him information because that's what w we do. Walking out the door and like a passing comment, like she was telling me my shoe was untied. She was like, you know, one person is dying every 60 seconds in the States. And I was like, I'm going to go process that outside now. <laughs> it was totally not meant for anything. It just No, it was just it. like... It, you, it's just we a... tell each other information. Interesting pieces of fact. Wow. That's what we do. What a, what a segue into the Legendary Tales podcast. Where Adam is opening with... Well, we just... You chose what you wanted to yeah. do, which is Dracula. Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler. So it's turned into a semi-real person. Yeah, because I was going to do Dracula, but it turns out the Dracula portion of this isn't actually as interesting as I thought it was going to be. So I just touch on it at the end. Um, okay. But I talk more about Vlad the Impaler because um, you don't know this and the audience doesn't know this, but I've been ingesting a lot of <laughs> Dracula-related content recently. Oh, no. Is that what you've been doing upstairs? Uh, yes. Um, Adam has a habit of disappearing for hours without alerting to anyone I, what he's uh, doing. Well, it's in the evening. It's at the end of the day, so I don't think it's that strange. Um, but when you're on a when you're on a compound and you you spend most of the day around the people that you live with, it it does show a bit when you're not around. But yeah, Netflix just released a new show called Castlevania, and obviously it revolves around uh, Dracula as a main character. And a lot of the places are actually historically accurate in that show, which was pretty cool. After doing the research, I realized that they were actually... Is it animated? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then I watched... As, um, I, as someone who regularly watches new Netflix shows and never heard of it, I yeah. assumed it must be. Um, and uh, an older animated show called Helsing, which also has a character that's loosely related to Dracula. And again, all the places are largely historically accurate, uh, which is very interesting. You know, because okay. occasionally... When they do those sort of adaptations, I mean, even Bram Stoker wasn't super accurate when it came to using Vlad the Impaler as a character for okay. Dracula's. Anyway, uh, this okay, all needs yeah. to be cut because this is just getting rambly. Um, okay, Castlevania, by the way, totally looks like something you would watch. Yeah, it's really good. It was okay. actually really, really good. I was surprised because those things. Anyway, doesn't matter. So Vlad the Impaler uh, okay. is who I'm going to be talking about. He was the, I think it's pronounced Voivoda, Voivoda. Okay. Of Wallachia from 1448 to 1477. Voivoda is just a kind Title. of fun word for some sort of ruler. Okay. Until his death in 1477, Wallachia is modern-day Romania. So okay. he's, he's one of the Romanian kings. And it wasn't until 1881 when Wallachia became what is now modern-day Romania, and Transylvania was only incorporated into Romania in 1918. 
That's obviously an important bit of detail because even though Vlad the Impaler did spend some time in Transylvania, yeah. he never lived there. He never had a castle there. Oh. So that's a bit of a, an, an inaccuracy. And is Transylvania a country? Is it a country? Yes. It's a country within like the kingdom of Romania. I think Romania is like a region. Okay. Was a region. It's a country. It become a country. Yeah. It is um, a country. And Transylvania is a separate Okay. Country, but it's like a commonwealth. Like, it's hard to, I don't know. But yes, Transylvania is its own country. Okay. Vlad the Impaler was the, this is a bit confusing because there's a lot of people named Vlad or Vladliva because okay. it was, I guess, Eastern Europe in the 1800s. I wasn't aware that that was a, a, it's a, a fair, Apparently it's a fairly common, unless your name was Dan, your name was Vlad, which I thought was a little bit odd. Dan or Vlad? Do those be your two options? <laughs> no, yeah. Vlad, uh, Vlad. Dan, or his brother's name was R Radu. Yeah, but that Radu and Vlad seem like... <laughs> like they would sort of fit together. They would fit together. Yeah, Dan, I think Dan just seems... was from a different part of Europe. Okay. So he was the second son of Vlad Dracul. Okay. And Dracul was a title that was given to Vlad II, okay. who was his father, because he joined the Order of the Dragon, which cool. was a secret organization founded by the Holy Ro Roman Emperor. I want to join... Uh, it's a very Christian thing. Don't want to join. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Vlad Dracul was also the Voivoda of, of Wallachia. Okay. But he was originally the illegitimate son of the Holy Roman Emperor, so he had no claim to the throne until, throne until his half-brother died. Okay. So this is during the Roman Empire. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. And the Ottoman Empire. So there's a, there's like the there's the big battles happening sort of all around I just kind of had never Eastern pegged Europe. it as being that period of time. But okay. I didn't either until... I don't know. I honestly because I think I think, hadn't pegged it as being a time at all. I think the thing is when you think about Dracula, because I think when people think of Vlad the Impaler, they think <laughs> as of Dracula. I do all the time. You think Victorian though. I think that's yeah. Because you're Bram Stoker right. published yeah. the book in 1897. So. Yeah. Uh, Vlad II, mm -hmm. the original, um, ended up in captivity in Gallipoli. Uh, he was accused of treason by the Ottoman governor. Okay. Was released in 1443. Uh, he remained neutral in future battles with the Ottoman Empire and would and then would eventually make peace with them in 1447. There's a lot of battle between Wallachia and the Ottoman Empire in this period of time. Okay. It doesn't seem like it would have been a fair fight. The Ottoman Empire versus Wallachia? No, yeah. not really. Okay. Although, when Vlad the Impaler gets involved, he does do a very good job of terrifying really? the bejesus out of them, yes. Okay. He was finally... And so while he was imprisoned by the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Both of his sons were born within the empire and held captive okay. as a ransom to make sure that he would do what they wanted him to do. So Vlad, the Impaler, and his older brother, whose name I've forgotten, were both born within the Ottoman okay. Empire. In Hungary, I think. Okay. Right, and so Vlad Dracul eventually goes back to Wallachia following Hungary's invasion into Wallachia, mm -hmm. and then he dies in Tardaviste in a small village. Okay. So I don't know why so many of these words do not like. They mean nothing. They mean nothing to because me because they've because they haven't been called because Romania hasn't been called Wallachia since the early 1800s. Yeah, but yeah, part yeah. of Viste is the name of a village that I do recognize, and I'm not sure if it's because I watched Castlevania recently Maybe. or if it's because because I'm thinking like I have a degree in history. These yeah. words shouldn't be as yeah. But Ottoman Empire was Turkey. Yeah, Hungary. I guess I didn't do. I've never really studied no, the Ottoman Empire. No. Um, okay. Which might be something that I want to do an episode on because it was a huge, like powerhouse for uh, for a very very long time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was huge. Yeah. So now we talk. Uh, so Vlad the Impaler was born in Targoviste in 1431. He's also Vlad the Third. Okay. Uh, Vlad Tepesh. Or Dracula, Dracula meaning son of Dracul, son of the dragon. Okay. Um, so that's where we get the name Dracula. Okay. Um, it is important to note that Targoviste is nowhere near Transylvania. It's okay. closer to modern-day Bucharest, which is the capital of Romania. Mm -hmm. He returned to Wallachia in 1448 at the age of 15, where okay. when he first, following the assassination of his father and his brother, he returned to Wallachia, and that's when he sort of ascended to Voivoda, okay. to this, this political power. He began a campaign to cement his power and remove the people who had assassinated his brother and father. Mm -hmm. Okay. How were they killed? He just executed them. Okay. Um, he didn't start doing the impaling until uh, his Ottoman. Okay. He had, some, he had some issues with all of his neighbors, basically. Because at this point in history, yeah. from the brief research I did on the area, is 
Eastern Europe was just like a war zone for centuries at this point. It was just constant power vacuums and not really there wasn't like a monarchy like there was in in the UK okay. so there wasn't one central power in all of Eastern Europe that sort of or even central countries by yes, the sounds of things yeah. okay. so it was all just sort of very no very little about this area very fractured no very little about this area at this point right so yeah, in 1448, after the death of his father and brother, he becomes the primary claimant to Wallachia. Um, even though his cousin Vladislav II is currently in charge. Okay. And Vladislav was put into power by a man named John Hunyadi, who was the person who convinced Vlad's father to go to war against the Ottomans in the first place. Okay. So not only is there a lot of people named the same things, it's a lot of people going to war with the same groups of people just decades apart from each other. Okay. Because it, it seems to me that the Ottoman Empire is trying to push further into Romania. And and universally, someone named Vlad is trying to stop Yes, them. yeah. Okay. Um, so what, we, what we're talking about is Hungary, Romania. Yeah. Which includes Transylvania. Yes. But was not named any of those things at the time. No, it was called Wallachia. The um, Kingdom of Wallachia. So we've got a whole load of different people With the named same names <laughs> in, a co- in countries that we don't recognize as being it, countries because they don't have the same yes. names anymore. But generally, we've got a whole load of people named Vlad in Romania yes. stopping the Ottoman Empire. Basically, yeah. And okay. none of the Vlads like each other. And all the Vlads are fighting between themselves. Yes, because it's all familial stuff. And, and this man, John, who just keeps interjecting himself into this family's business to either support Vladislav, the cousin, or to say, like, I don't want Vlad in power. It's all very strange. Because I think at this point, Vlad the Impaler (laughs) wants John... This is why we need to do this show in live. Yes, because you're holding six (laughs) fingers up and you're, like, taking them off as I say Guys, we're thinking about doing this, starting to actually record live come this new year. Yeah, so if you're interested in that... Let us know. And if you're not... We'll Tell probably us. do it anyway because no one says anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because right. I'm trying to hold up. So, Vla- to... so Vladislav II is at mm-hmm. war with the Ottomans with John Hunyadi. Okay. I like his name. It's a good name. I don't know why his name is John. I don't know where he's from, but his name is John. And <laughs> they're off at war fighting the Ottomans. And this is when Vlad the Impaler mm-hmm. re-enters Wallachia at the head of the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Uh, at the Battle of Kosovo, John's forces are defeated, and he sends an enclave to Vlad in yeah. Wallachia to say, John wants to meet with you so we can talk about you ascending to power. Okay. Vlad says no because he's worried he's going to be murdered like his brother and father yeah. were, and he leaves. Okay. He's forced to leave because Vladislav then comes back into Wallachia. Okay. Vladislav, still in the seat of power, Vlad the Second, Vlad the Third, Vlad the Impaler has been exiled at this point. Okay. Right. All right. So now we're at the point in history where Vlad the Impaler is is exiled for the first time. Okay. And while he's exiled, uh, people don't really know where he is. He's in the same area, but history. How, do we have any idea roughly how old he is at this he point? He was 15 when he went back after okay. his, his, after basically, his, his basically his imprisonment. His The imprisonment when he was So born. he was 15 years old when he went back to Romania yes. after being let go by yes. the Ottoman Empire. He came back into Hungary and... 1456, so he would have been 20 years old. Okay. Basically, I think. I think that's how old he was. So as he's in exile, uh, the political players around him keep doing stuff. War with the Ottoman Empire, peace with the Ottoman Empire, battling back and forth. Vlad's uncle, Bogdan II, comes into power in Hungary and is assassinated. Okay. And his son, Stephen, who is uh, Vlad's cousin, flees to Transylvania to seek help from John... Hyundai. Okay. Hyundai. I just want to say Hyundai, and that's not his name. Um, But at this point, John had settled a truce with the Ottoman Empire and couldn't help Bogdan's son. Okay. I think Bogdan's son ended up being captured and killed or something. Okay. Um, Not much is known about Vlad at this point, except that he returns to Hungary before July 3rd, 1456, and that's when he sort of gets his first taste of power because there's like a bit of a power vacuum in Wallachia. Okay. So he invades Wallachia, I think at the head of the Ottoman Empire again, and kills his cousin and starts making political alliances with the Burgers, which if any of our listeners don't know, Burger was a term, I believe, in obviously in ancient Eastern Europe that I there I 
And it's just <laughs> burger. Burger was a political term in Eastern Europe in the like early nineteenth century or in the early fifteenth century that were they were sort of like counts. Yeah, okay. I think like lower level, not kings or emperors, but okay, just like important people. And he began executing and purging the people who he associated with the death of his brother and father. So he just was having executions. Like, so he's John Wicking, yeah. Sort of. Um, and he was quoted as saying, when a man or prince is strong and powerful, he can make peace as he wants to. But when he is weak, a stronger one will come and do what he wants to them. So he's very authoritarian. Mm-hmm. He knows how he's going to go about sort of establishing a central government in Wallachia because that's sort of his plan is to... Unite it. Yeah, I think to make himself a king to sort of stabilize the, the country and to do that, he wants dissidents eradicated, which you see a lot in history. He... So now we're going to go through a bit of his exploits. During his first ruling in Wallachia, he... Pl- okay, so let me... Hang on. Let yeah. me just summarize. Yes. He's now big bad boss. Voy, Voivoda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Ottoman Empire basically stopped invading at this point. Yeah, they're still trying to, like, around, um, and they do push in in a few years. So basically, he now is the king of Romania. Yes. Okay. Um, And while he's king, he plunders several villages in Transylvania, declaring himself lord and ruler over all of Wallachia and the duchies of Amlas and Fagra. Um, And he had, again, he just continued to kill anyone who was in power. Lots of deading. Yes, lots of dissident whispers murdered. He imposed unfair and compulsory border fees to the Saxons who were entering Wallachia at this time. Basically, if you were a tradesman, you were coming into Wallachia. He said, you can't come into the country and you have to sell your goods at a lower cost immediately as soon as you get here. So the Saxons sort of rebelled against him a little bit and he quashed that immediately, capturing and torturing several Saxon craftsmen. He had them impaled and burnt alive. This is where the impaling starts to happen. Impaling like is literally thrown on sticks. A stick or several sticks? One big stick. One big stick. I think it's sort of like a an, an antique version of crucifixion is sort of what it sounds like. Okay. Not with the nailing, but like it's one stick in the ground and you get stuck onto it. Okay. So this is a quote from someone from a history book written at the period. He captured all the, the merchants. He captured all the merchants who had gone to peace with Wallachia and took all their wealth, but he was not satisfied only with the wealth of these people, but he imprisoned them and impaled them. 41 in all, nor were these people enough. He became even more evil and gathered 300 boys and had them impaled or burned. So he's, at this point, not only punishing the people who he feels have slighted him, he is now going after their families because these are like the craftsmen's children he's killing. So this is where Dan shows up. This is Dan the third. I'm not sure where Dan the first or Dan the second were, but he invades Wallachia. Did he go by Dan or Daniel? It was just Dan, just Dan the third. I'm not sure if it's meant to be a shortening of, I'm not sure if the article that I was reading just. That's amazing. Okay. Just Dan the third. He invaded Wallachia. It is a big bad move um, because this at the point, again, Vlad's st- stamping out all dissidents. He was captured and killed and Vlad hunted down all of his supporters in Wallachia. Okay. Because some of the Wallachians were like, we want a bit of different ruler, different <laughs> Not leadership. Not this psychopath. Um, and so he killed all of them. He then started dealing with the Ottomans slightly, execu- executing two of their sultan's spies after learning okay. of their secret plot to overthrow him. And then he invades the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Attempting to spread his influence. And he killed... I don't know much about the Ottoman yeah. Empire, but they were their like, armies were big. They, they had, were big. They had bi- they had big armies. Okay, I'm not sure if this was like a f- a cell or like a bit of a f- <laughs> a bit of a of a fractured um, part of the Ottoman Empire, or if this was like the Ottoman Empire properly, or if this was before the Ottoman Empire became really got uh, its feet underneath it and started yeah. pushing. Um, but during his conquest he killed 23,884 Turks and Bulgarians and when he learned of the Sultan's location he planned a night raid to basically cut the head off the snake and gathered an army uh, to invade the camp and kill the Sultan but they failed they they attacked the wrong part of the camp and as they were fleeing the Ottomans pursued them and came across what was known as the Forest of the Impaled where Vlad and his soldiers impaled 20,000 men, women, and children on on stakes and forced the Ottomans to basically pursue them through this 
this forest of their people on stakes. Wow. Vlad is like horrific. Vlad, Vlad the Impaler is I knew that he was like not a good guy, but he's like really a horrible person. But he also managed to get his army to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point you can't you obviously can't use the excuse like they were just following orders. That's not a that's not an excuse. But yeah, I mean they were he is he was a folk hero in Romania. In in nineteen, wasn't he killing his own people? Weren't these a twenty thousand people his? Own no, those people? were all Ottoman because they, they were within the Ottoman Empire. Oh, they point. were in the so they just killed they were, random. They were Turkish. And, not that that's and a, not the, no, but no, but people generally revolt against the king who kills their own people. Yes, but I think that they saw him as a central, as a figurehead, as a central okay. someone that they could, you know, who could rule them yeah. and and finally unite Romania as a and keep the Ottomans out. But, yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think that they were willing to look past some things. Okay. And I think I read somewhere like in 1999, someone did a poll, and like it's not a big number, but 10 percent of Romanian people think that Vlad the Impaler was a ruler who pushed Romania into a positive direction as a kingdom. Uh, he gets deposed and captured because okay. that's what happens in this time period. It's a lot of deposition. tumultuous deposition. Um, and he's living in Hungary at this point, okay. sort of uh, just waiting out yeah. his, his capture period. He invades Wallachia again and is killed. In 1477. Well, it was rapidly ending. So now I'm going to talk a bit about the stories that spread. Okay. And sort of why he gained the notoriety that he did outside of being a horrible person. But his stories did spread to mainland Europe. uh, I almost said Georgia. Germany. Okay. Mainland Uh, Europe is Romania. Germany, Scandinavia, those places. Romania is mainland Europe. Obviously, Romania is not part of the island, which makes it part of mainland Europe. So when he was captured, the first yeah. time he was captured, uh, stories began to spread of his cruelty. Uh, this was actually it was the second time he was captured. So after he'd impaled all of the people, okay, the, the legends began to spread of Vlad the Impaler, and a a play was written, a long epic poem that apparently had been per- performed in some courts at some point in time okay. in history, called the story of a despot, called Dracula, Voivode of Wallachia, and the story is a little bit tame compared to what he actually did, and it tells of him impaling two priests in order to assist them to get into heaven. Oh. And then because their donkey starts to bray after he kills them, he impales the donkey as well. Well, we went through this whole kicking animals thing. People don't like when you kill animals. Impaling a donkey is probably on the list of on things, the list people, of things like. people don't like. But I wouldn't have thought it would compare to impaling 20,000 50, women and children yeah. in the forest. Yeah, no, I agree. There was also a legend that spread that during his imprisonment, because he couldn't escape his evil, he would capture rats in, the, in his cell, kill them, rip them into tiny pieces, and then stick them on like little <laughs> stakes in his cell, oh, which is pretty gross. That is gross. Also, no kind evi- of believable. No evidence of that ever happened, but yeah, but believable. Knowing knowing, knowing modern day psychopaths, yeah. I don't know modern day psychopaths, but like <laughs> you, 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 hurting animals is... It's par for the course when it comes High to people there with and, uh, psychopathic yeah. tendencies, isn't it? The Germans, who caught wind of his stories, published... Always known for being a... <laughs> oh, yeah, very... Sympathetic race. Yeah. Uh, published their first bestseller about the exploits of Vlad the Impaler in a, in a book called About a Mischievous Tyrant Named Dracula. They wrote this. Vlad had a big copper cauldron built and put a lid made of wood with holes in it on top. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> He put people in the cauldron, put their heads in the holes, and fastened them there. Then he filled it with water and set a fire under it and let the people cry their eyes out until they were boiled to death. He then ordered that the women be impaled with their suckling babes on the same stake. It got worse, but I didn't even include the bits that were actually like really, really bad. But there were some bits of folklore that, that went around for some reason that he would eat his victims. I don't think there was ever any evidence of okay. that, um, that he would dip their bread, his bread into their blood and eat the bread. That's gross. Um, maybe it happened. It probably didn't. I think it's just part of the, when people do horrible, horrible things, stories about them. When are, they do something that's legitimately yes, unbelievable, yeah. then you can just really say anything. Yes, and it exactly. Might... Um, but he was a folk hero in Romanian. The Romanians okay. sort of revered him in the fight for Romanian independence Okay. As a as a strong leader who I mean he was a strong he was leader. yeah whose torture and impalement could be sort of looked 
past as an end to a means, the end being, or a means to an end, the end being a strong central Romanian government. Yeah, but no. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, but he was. Sorry to our great Romanian crowd of listeners. Well, I mean, on, again, only 10% of Romanians okay. in 1990 thought that he'd ever did anything worthwhile. Um, but there are, I mean, a lot of historians, uh, centuries afterward, sort of considered him okay. to be doing not the right thing, but a good thing for Romania. We have to put stuff in context of of the time period, the time period, and, and all the rest of the especially stuff we in, say. An, in in an area of the world that sounded like it was highly destabilized. I mean, this was the time the Romans were feeding Christians to lions for fun. Yeah, so not a great time to be in the world, really. Um, so right, so now we go into vampire lore in Romania. Okay. Romania does have specific vampire lore. They have two creatures known as the Morai and the Strigoi, which I believe they talk about in Supernatural, maybe. Okay. Um, they come from the Slavic words dead and nightmare. Okay. And they send out their souls at night to consume the blood of the living. And you may become a Strigoi if you are the seventh child born into a family and you are the opposite sex of the other six siblings. Which just seems like bad That's luck. That's really specific. Specific and just bad luck. Apparently, yeah. Also, if you're born with a cowl, you know, a baby is a oh, yeah. occasionally born with a placenta, I think, over, okay. the, over the face. That could be an indicator that you were going to be, okay. become a strigoi. Or if your mother crosses a black cat while she's pregnant or doesn't eat salt. Okay, so... While she's pregnant with you, you could become... Your a, choices are... It's not up to you. It's not up to you, no. but that's very unlucky. I was like, how did they ever manage to find new people if they had to wait until the seventh I child of the I, opposite sex? I didn't dig into it too specifically. But then it's like, oh, their mother can eat salt. Because okay. this is sort of where Bram Stoker, when penning Dracula, gets his information. Okay. So Dracula, written by Bram Stoker, is considered one of the greatest pieces of horror literature ever written. It was yep. published in 1897, and he based a lot of his information off of a book written by an author named Emily Gerard. Uh, it was called Transylvanian Superstition, and I'm going to read the portion that he would have gotten all of his information cool. from. She says in her book, more decidedly evil, however, is the vampire, or Nosferatu, in whom every Romanian peasant believes as firmly as he does in heaven or hell. There are two sorts of vampires, living and dead. The living vampire is a flawless pedigree. The living vampire is, in general, the illegitimate offspring of two illegitimate persons. But even a flawless pedigree will not ensure anyone against the intrusion of the vampire into his family vault. Okay. Since every person killed by a Nosferatu becomes likewise a vampire after death and will continue to suck the blood of other innocent people until the spirit has been exorcised, either by opening the grave of the person suspected and driving a stake through the corpse or firing a pistol shot into the coffin. In very obstinate cases, it is further recommended to cut off the head and replace it in the coffin with the, the mouth filled with garlic or to extract the heart and burn it, strewing the ashes over the grave. I see some things that I recognize yeah, in that. Yeah, that's sort of, that's vampire lore. Yeah, that's she like, did good. Was and, she? Yes, Emily. Um, And he, in a lot of that stuff is in Dracula. That's yeah. sort of, this book is sort of the... So she's really the person we can blame for the whole vampire. Yeah, sort of. And as far as I can tell, Romanians, no more likely than any other culture to believe that vampires yeah. existed in the ancient times. So when she says that as likely to believe in them as they are to believe in heaven or hell, I, she was Western European and she was talking about Eastern European. So I think there okay. might have been a little bit of a bias there. Bram Stoker, also not very knowledgeable about Wallachian history. Yeah. Um. So he uses a the word striska to describe... Dracula's heritage. Okay. And that's not like that would have just been dumb luck that he managed to do that. Okay. Because that's that's I in dumb luck, I, that's not a word I'd come up with. Well, I, because he's was it dumb luck? <laughs> I didn't I didn't write it down. Um Actually, I have no idea. Okay. I I, I, I don't know. But he he wasn't very knowledgeable about the about the area and he just picked Transylvania, I think, because It sounds creepy. Yeah, um, he didn't know much about it. Uh, okay. And he chose the name Dracula because, again, it, it, he had been doing some research on Eastern Europe and yeah. had it just written down in some notes somewhere. Okay. And Dr Drac Dracul, like, obviously it has, the like, the Latin tie would be Draco Dragon. I, I think it's just a sort of spooky-sounding okay. word. And I think that... The fact that it was Vlad the Impaler's name was kind of... Was, was information that he would have picked up not intentionally when... 
creating the character Dracula. I get it. He could have just as likely been based on Attila the Hun as he could have been Vlad the Impaler okay. because same sort of area. Um, yeah, same area of the world, sort of same horrible yeah. kind of person, same historical context. Okay. So it was just sort of... Yes, loosely, very, very loosely based on Vlad the Impaler, Dracula's. But Vlad the Impaler, as a historical leader, I think is more interesting than his impact on horror fiction. Cool. Which, to be fair, has been massive now because Dracula, the book, has influenced so so many things. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it's it's very interesting to, again, uh, and then understand that you think that someone who... Dracula could be based on would be a bad person, but maybe not necessarily as bad as I, I actually think. Thought. I actually think Vlad the Impaler sounds like he might be a worse person than Dracula. Dracula. Well, Dracula was slightly sympathetic, if I remember correctly, yeah. because that was the Victorian way. But yeah. but yeah, absolutely. I I if it were if I had a gun with a bullet and I was in a room with Dracula or Vlad the Impaler, I'd shoot Vlad the Impaler. I'm with you. Yeah. And also, I, it would work on Vlad the Impaler. Yes. Well, yeah. It, well, fair enough. <laughs> Maybe that hypothetical doesn't play out as well. Okay. Uh, if I had a steak. Yes, I would I would impale Vlad. Vlad the Impaler on ooh, his own impaling ooh. steak. Do you think the irony would be lost on him? I I hoped that that's how he went in the first place. No, it was not nearly as exciting as all that. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, I'm doing something that's positively positive. In, and yet it still involves abuse of husbands and uh, treachery and a murder by firing squad. Damn it. <laughs> we, can't escape, <laughs> we can't escape anything in this podcast. No, I'm going to do the story and tell you a little bit about Matahari, which I think is... I... Honestly, just I just knew who Matahari was. I didn't know much about her. You know nothing. I know nothing about her. Um, or nothing in general. I went, when I told Adam I was going to do Matahari, he looked at me with perhaps the blankest expression that he's ever looked at me with when it comes with to me saying what I'm doing on this anybody, podcast. Anybody, anybody in, in my entire so, life. And mine is a fairly linear little biography of her. Oh, wonderful. Which, are, are, is her mother's name the same? No. Does she every, have a cousin who tries to kill her who has the same this name? This is a positively easy to follow, lightweight story. Yay! Sort of, except that sort she of, gets murdered. It's not murdered, very lightweight. Executed. Okay. So, Margarita Zila Zil, was born in August 17th, 1876. Um, and she was born in the Netherlands. She was the eldest of four children. Oh, my sources are Wikipedia, Mashable, an article by a person called Arbuckle, The Star, an article by Edwards, and an article in the Boston Globe, and I couldn't find the author. Um, so cool. kind of comes from a few different places. Um, and, okay, so she was the eldest of four children. Her mother, uh, her dad was named Adam, and her mother was named Anchija van der Moulin. Vandermeulen. Vandermeulen. Um, so she had three brothers. Her dad owned a hat shop. He was pretty successful. <gasps> a haberdashery. A haberdashery is where you put fabrics. Milner is a hat. Milnery. You sure? Yes. Haberdashery is... I thought it was a hat store, a haberdashery was. No. Milner. Okay. Um, uh, no, silence for me for the next five minutes as uh, I Google search this. Um, so... He made many successful investments in the oil industry, and she had a lavish early childhood with exclusive schools and had a pretty, you know, early, early privileged upbringing. Okay. Like, um, in 1889... I'm sorry, where was she born? Uh, Holland. Okay. Okay. And the Netherlands. Um she was Dutch. Yes. Uh, in... She wore clocks. 1889, her parent, her dad went bankrupt... So she was 13. Unlucky. Um, her parents got divorced, and then her mother died in 1891. Okay. So that first 13 years of her life was all coming up roses, um, and then less Very so. Very quickly went bad. Very quickly went really bad. Uh, 90, 1893, so at this point she is 16, 17. Um, her dad remarried Susanna Carthina Ten Hoof. Um, and she really wasn't into this because she went off to move with her, live with her godfather, Mr. Weisser, um, where she went to study to be a kindergarten teacher, but the headmaster of the school began to flirt with her conspicuously. So she was removed from the institution by her offended godfather, 
Um, Offended by her or by the headmaster? I think by the whole non-Victorian situation. Uh, Yes, very, very lewd. A few months later, she fled to live with her uncle in The Hague. Okay. So she kind of is not homeless, but... No. Waifs and strays. Yeah. At 18, she answered an advert in a Dutch newspaper placed by Colonel Army Captain Rudolf McLeod, who was living in what was then the Dutch East Indies, now Indonesia, um, and was looking for a wife. Oh. So they got married um, (laughs) at 18. They got married in Amsterdam, and uh, he was very well-connected. His mother was Baroness Wurtz de Landis. I love these names. He was also Dutch, right? He was also Dutch. And the marriage enabled her to move into the Dutch upper classes. Okay. Um, and placed her financially. When solidly. did he die? He gets there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> Actually, his ca- that's his character development. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know that when he dies. I don't think this is in here. Okay. Um, okay. So they moved with her husband to Malang on the east side of the island Java in 1897. Okay. He was an abusive and resentful alcoholic. Sorry. She wrote once that he came close to murdering me with the bread knife. I owe my life to the chair that fell over it and gave me time to get to the door to get help. So. Not great. Not great. They went on and had two children. uh, Norma John and Louise Jean. Oh. Normally Norma Jean. I I love that about it. I'm glad you put that together because I I had the same. I was like, maybe she just read those backwards. No, no. But you didn't immediately go to correct yourself. So no, Norma John and Louise Jean. Louise Jean. Psychopaths, these people. Well, no, but this is before Marilyn Monroe was even a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Way before Marilyn Monroe was even a thing. So purely coincidental. Amazing. Okay. So her life's looking... Not great. Not great. Her mom died. She lost all her money. She had a. She apparently got touched up by the headmaster at work. Uh, she went to live with her uncle, who you got to assume was probably no prince. Uh, she married some random man she met through a newspaper. Yeah, that's why you would assume her uncle what maybe wasn't so good. <laughs> uh, she married some random man who she met through a newspaper who moved her to Indonesia. Miles. Where he attacked her with a bread knife and knocked her up twice. But you'll be glad to hear it. Lighthearted. <laughs> but you'll be glad to hear it got better. Did he get hit by a car? No. He openly kept a concubine. Did he get impaled? No, no. He openly kept a concubine, which was apparently a socially acceptable practice. In Indonesia or by the Dutch? In the Dutch, in Indonesia. Oh, in the right. Dutch yeah, East right. Indies. So, uh, so they're living this real great life. Picturesque. Real great life, <laughs> where a few years later, their children fell violently ill from complications relating to the treatment of syphilis contracted from their parents, although some people that, in fact, they were claimed they were poisoned by an irate servant. Uh, Janine survived, but Norman died. So now she's lost her son as well. Oh, my God. And a lot of sources claim that his enemies may have poisoned the supper to kill the children. His enemies, the husband's enemies? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, I was... You're right, it got so much better, Dora. Uh, look, I'm just really glad you did Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> <laughs> because there's not many stories that would make this look lighthearted. Look like a look like a Disney movie. Yeah. All right. So she was obviously not happy. No. So she moved in with a man named Van Reeds, who was another Dutch officer. Was she still married? Yes. Okay. Um, she abandoned him temporarily. And she studied, while there, she studied Indonesian traditions intensely for many months, joining a local dance company, um, learning about. So she started studying with a whole load of local Indonesian dance companies, um, and that became her real kind of passion in life. Do you have an age for her at this point in her life? She got married to this man when she was 18. She got married to this man when she was 18. She was born in... 1876. They did eventually kind of get back together, but they properly separated in 1902. So she was 26 years old when they got divorced. Okay. When they were separated, right? Yeah. He's 76 to 1902. Yeah. 26. Okay. I think. Yeah. And her children died when she was 20 then. No. 1899 is when her children died. So she was 23. 23. 
Um, so she was okay. So and both of her children died, or just one. Norman, the son. Norman died. Okay. The son died. So nineteen oh two, they move. So she goes off and lives with this other man, and he. I think holds. Uh, I got the impression that he was then like, "I'll take your daughter away from you. You'll never see her." So she went back to him. Yeah. They went back to the Netherlands together, and in 1902 they officially separated. Okay. Um, she moved to Paris, where she found work as a circus equestrian, artist model, and exotic dancer. Hmm. And here's a quote from someone who wrote a biography. It was interesting. There wasn't a ton of web articles on her. Mm-hmm. There were a few that I mentioned, but a lot of books. Obviously, there was a period right after World War Two, one, she two, was... where she. People wrote a lot about okay. her. And her daughter is still in the Netherlands with her ex-husband. Yeah, she had okay. to make, this is the quote, she had to make a choice to go to France and get a life for herself or to be poor and live in poverty and try and raise her child. She chose to go to France and build up her career, but she always missed her girl. Um, oh, what a lighthearted episode. I know. So <laughs> she wrote a letter where around this time where she wrote that she had secured a job with a theatre company but was also sleeping with men for money. Um... She wrote, don't think that I am bad at heart. She wrote to her former husband's cousin. Um, I have only done it out of poverty. Mm. So, um, at 27, yeah. at this point, she has lost, she's lost the, almost everything. Yeah. Several times yes. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and at this point, she takes on her nom de plus, uh, which is Matahari. Okay. Which means... Um, Eye of the Sun, hmm. or uh, Eye of the Day, or the Sun in Malay. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. And she capitalized on a growing fad for Oriental performances. Okay. Um, she posed as a Javanese princess of priestly Hindu birth, pretending to have been immersed in the art of sacred Indian dance since childhood. Okay. So she set up this whole alter ego about how she was a royal and. Or the rest of it. So she, what she did was these traditional dances, mm. but she pretty much mixed them with her. It says here her own body sense of confidence and promiscuity. Okay. And she got naked a lot. Okay. Um. So, instantly in 1903, this is the the hot stuff. The hot stuff. Yeah. And I mean, this was you know uh, Paris at this point. Yeah. Moulin Rouge. Just, uh, getting naked wasn't. Uncommon. As scandalous as all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like um, England in the 1900s. Well, it got more scandalous. We'll get to that. But um, so she delighted audiences around Europe with provocative photo shoots, dancing, and she became basically a courtesan. Okay. Um, so a modern day, not modern day, but a Western geisha. Okay. Um, she... Became the okay, so she became the long time uh, mistress of industrialist Emile Goumet, who founded the Musée okay. in Paris. Um, and obviously, all of the stuff that she was doing, all of these photos, which you can find online, like they're all available. Um, all of these photos uh, were sent them back to her husband by various people, and he used that for a strength in case of not giving her any child support and keeping her daughter. Okay, good guy, yeah. But while of this, everyone was going crazy for her. A French journalist wrote in a Paris newspaper that Matahari was so feline, extremely feminine, majestically tragic, the thousand curves and movements of her body trembling in a thousand rhythms. A thousand... What was the... The thousand curves. Fantastically tragic. Yeah, majestically tragic. Ah, yes. I hope someone calls me that. <laughs> well, I do. Just Maj- behind your back. Majestically tragic. <laughs> and another journalist in Vienna wrote that seeing a performance of Matahari, she was slender and tall with the flexible grace of a wild animal and blue-black hair. She makes a strange foreign impression. She's, she's Dutch. Dutch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, so she's running around... Actually, I will say 27 when she starts this, she's getting on. Yeah. This is not the age that you become a femme fatale in... In Paris. In Paris. It's usually 14, I think. So she's running around in the early 1900s, making a huge name for herself, dating a whole load of very powerful men. Very successfully. She's... Very successfully courtesanning herself around. Okay, so here she is. She's getting older. She's a successful courtesan. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows who she is. Um, and she's traveling all around Western Europe. Doing, doing her thing. Doing her thing. But 
in the 1910, 1912, her career started to go into decline. Okay. Um, she's nearly 40. Yeah, she started getting a little middle-aged spread. People weren't quite as it, yes. into her. March 13th, 1915 is when she performed the last show of her career. However, while she was no longer dancing and stuff, she was at this time considered, uh, well, uh, she be- had become a successful courtesan, known more for her sensuality and eroticism than her beauty. Mm. So, sexy older lady, thing sexy going older on. lady thing going so on. So, was she financially successful during this period, I or think, was she? I think she became pretty financially kept. Okay, because she was managing to to sort of date financially yeah. successful okay. men. Um, I think that perhaps had she had the same amount of money and not the career she had, she could have probably got her daughter back. Yeah. But unfortunately the combination right. of the two. Yeah, it didn't okay. Didn't work very well. So of course then we get to World War One. Jeez. Um, so uh, prior to World War One, her relationships and liaison with all these different powerful men would actually take her through different borders and things like mm-hmm. that. And but as the World War One progressed, they started seeing less of her as a free-spirited bohemian and more as a promiscuous. Yeah. Usually in times of war, people become more conservative. Years. And that's what happened. Okay. So she started to lose really everything she'd worked for. Mm-hmm. So she fell in love, which good is good. Um, she fell in love with a gentleman named Maslov, who was a Russian. In, I never would have guessed. <laughs> he was a Russian fighting with the French. And uh, he, she called him the love of her life. And he was part of the 50,000-strong Russian expeditionary force sent to the Western Front in 1916. In 1916, he was shot down and badly wounded during a dogfight with the Germans and lost his sight in both eyes. She asked for permission to visit the hospital where he was staying. And because at this point the Dutch were considered totally neutral, mm-hmm. she was actually given pretty free free movement. reign between all these different countries. Okay. So was he in Germany then? He had been right. shot down in Germany but was in France. Okay. Now, this is where my timeline, up until this, this is all pretty straightforward. Yeah. Horrible tragedy one after the other. Does pretty good as a courtesan dancer. And then World War One happens. And then World War One happens and the love of her life gets blinded. Okay. So now is where my timeline, I was trying to figure out the timeline on it, and yeah. it gets very close and very tight. A lot happens with between the summer of 1916 and the end of 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to try and kind of work it through. Right. But I'm sorry if... But all of this stuff happens within like a year. Yeah, so she goes from being... The successful freewheeling bohemian, immensely popular, courtesan. immensely popular courtesan, to dead. Yeah, within about a year and a okay. half. Okay, so she, as she went in to go and see her her lover Maslov, she was met from agents by the uh, Duime Bureau, which I assume is well, I know it's the French side, but I assume it's the French war time, Indeed. like. MI5 kind yeah. of thing, who told her that she wouldn't be allowed to see Mas- uh, she'd only be allowed to see him if she agreed to spy for France. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she really had adopted France as her home country since she was in her early 20s. So, and the French won the war. So, therefore, we think this is the right decision to spy for France. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, so she had performed for several times before the Crown Prince Wilhelm. Wilhelm who was the eldest son of the Tsar Wilhelm II. Now, I'm going to read you kind of what I've read here because it's kind of not hilarious, but, I mean, just goes to show. The Bureau believed that she might be able to obtain information by seducing the Crown Prince for military secrets. In fact, his involvement in the military was very minimal, and it was a government, a German government propaganda that had promoted the image of the Crown Prince as a great warrior and the worthy successor to... The August Hollandseralen monarchs who had made Russia strong and proud, they wanted to avoid publicizing that the man who was expected to be the next czar was a playboy noted for womanizing, partying, and indulging in alcohol, who spent another portion of his time intriguing with far-right politicians (laughs) with the intent to have his father declared insane and deposed. So she was supposed to go seduce this 
Crazy guy. Idiot. Yes. To get valuable information. Um, and they offered her a million francs to do it. Mm. So she pretty much said, sure. Yes. But uh, it doesn't really appear to have been. I think she did find. I, I think she did go and sleep with him. And Yeah, she went to Germany. Though. She went to Germany to sleep with him. Mm-hmm. So from what I. OK, so this is what I can figure out is that she went to Germany to go and seduce, seduce this guy. This guy. Uh, where she was detained and interrogated by, uh, or the Germans recognized her as an amateur spy because she wasn't very good. Okay, I thought you meant that like they like the French were announcing this. These no, things. no. So they recognized her as a spy mm-hmm. and fed her a mix of lies, old truths, and they 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 bamboozled her. Yeah, and she gave them in exchange the French gossip. Okay. Okay, and I can't. 100% figure out where this fits into what I'm going to talk about next. Okay. So why, while going back and forth between these countries, at some point she was traveling by a steamer from Spain when she called into the British port of Falmouth. Yeah. Um, I know where that is. Yeah, near here, <laughs> where she was arrested and brought to London for an, and was interrogated at length by Basil Thompson, an assistant commissioner at New Scotland Yard in charge of county and espionage. Because they thought she was a German spy? Yes. So he gave an account of this in his 1922 book called Queer People, where she admitted that she worked, event, well, that she eventually admitted working for the French. Which wouldn't have been illegal, though, right? Which, what, and, or wouldn't have been against the English's. Yeah. and But they also <laughs> were very aware that she made stuff up a lot. Okay. Because she was Dutch, not from Indonesia, and yes. she'd created all these fanciful stories, and she was working as an entertainer. Yeah. Primarily, what she was was a storyteller and an entertainer. Yeah. That she stripped was... Just part of that. Part of that mystique. Yeah. So they they weren't really sure whether she was lying or telling the truth or... Dutch or French. Or Dutch or French, so they basically let her go. Okay. And then she, so then I think after that is when she went to France and offered them French secrets in exchange for money from Germany, even though she was there on behalf of the French to sleep with the crown prince. Okay. And I couldn't figure out whether these were two separate missions. Okay. So I could, what, where I'm saying the timeline, what I couldn't figure out was did the French send her to Germany to sleep with the crown prince, right. which she did successfully, went back, yeah. then decided to go back back to Germany and spy for Germany. Right. So go give them French secrets in exchange for money. Or And England caught her in between these two okay. trips, I yep. think. Okay. I think is how it all went down. Right. Okay. Either way, she's so, not good. She's sort of gotten herself wrapped up in some stuff. She's totally out of her depth. Absolutely. Totally out of her depth on. So... Unfortunately, what she had managed to do was annoy both her French handler <laughs> and her German handler. Okay. Now, the German army guy had was annoyed because she'd given him nothing. You said gossip, right? It was just uh, gossip about the sex size of French politicians and generals. Who cares? So decided to terminate her employment as a German spy. So the way they did this was on January 1917, they transmitted radio messages to Berlin describing the helpful activities of a German spy codenamed H-21, whose biography so closely matched that of Matahari's that it could be anyone other than, I mean, I don't suppose there's many Dutch courtesans running around doing this. Pretending to be French. The messages uh, were intercepted, but... They'd code the Germans had coded the messages in French. No, in an intel in a code that they had known that the French had already broken. Okay. Okay. So they were basically just setting her up. Yeah. So they set her up as being a spy, mm-hmm. and her handler was already annoyed with her for not bringing any information back to him. Mm-hmm. So they completely believed that she was a dub- like a double agent then. Yeah, You're talking about she, her, her French handler. Yeah, her right? French handler. So on 13th of February 1917, she was arrested. In She came back actually thinking she was going to get some money for doing her job. Ugh, miserable. <laughs> uh, and, and, and in fact got arrested. She got put in trial on July 
24th, accused of spying for Germany. And they accused her of causing the death of at least 50,000 soldiers. Even though she hadn't given them anything? Yeah. Was there any evidence that she had actually managed to transport well, any useful information? No. So this is either no. side? Okay. This is kind of the point. They did find some secret ink in her makeup kit. Okay. But she just said it was part of her makeup. Oh. I didn't know what secret ink was and whether it could have legitimately been used as a... Spy thing. Spy thing or a makeup. So... It mean like invisible ink? So they interrogated her. Yes. One, uh, I'm going to read you some of the quotes of... Uh, I mean, she... She She just shoot herself in the foot. I don't... I don't think that she was the smartest okay. cookie. Yeah. Uh, one of her quotes was, A harlot, yes, but a traitress, never. <laughs> but not that that was one of her stupider comments. But so, so the fact that they, so then they put her on trial mm-hmm. after she basically fails interrogation. Yeah. Well, if, she thinks she'd be, it'd be easy enough for her to go. She was apparently very glib. Okay. And World War One, not the time to be sort of. Smart with your interrogators. No, uh, she, in fact, the it was MI5 that said in her final prison interrogation she was glib. Oh, boy. Yeah, so it was actually MI5 that called her glib. Mm. When faced with her acquaintances, the officers of all ranks and all nations, she replied that she loved all officers and would rather have as her lover a poor officer than a rich banker. So she was just flirting with... Oh boy! Everybody, yeah. she didn't. She didn't. It's. <laughs> she didn't take it seriously. No, and she didn't. She didn't seem to. I mean, like. Yeah. I don't think they. Yeah, I'm sorry. Continue. So her previous handler started. They think evidence tampering. Okay. Um, and it was all. It was all so. You think why? Like. Yeah. Why were they so quick to convict? Hmm. So in 1917, France had been badly shaken um, following a few different failures um, and a few war setbacks. Um, And they were worried that France might collapse just as a result of war exhaustion. Okay. I think how we're all feeling about COVID. And in this context, having a German spy who they could blame everything that went wrong on was very helpful was it really helpful the fact that she was dutch and of questionable moral integrity yeah only went to make her the easiest person okay to like yeah blame this on okay they basically needed a pick-me-up an excuse as to why the last year had gone so badly in the Mm -hmm. war and they blamed her for saying that she gave all these secrets to the germans and that's why they won on all those battles okay instead of okay yeah but everyone agrees that she really didn't uh, uh Someone said, Julie Real White, who's a British historian, said she really didn't pass on anything that you could find, couldn't find in the local newspapers. So the French were just bad at withholding um, information yes. at this point in history. But the fact that she was an independent woman, a divorcee, a citizen of a neutral country, a courtesan, and a dancer made her the perfect scapegoat for the French, who were then losing the war. She was held up as an example of what might happen if your morals were too loose. Um, she was found guilty. Um, and then she went on a bit of a letter writing campaign to try and so a lot of information is actually from her because she was trying in, to explain to people. Um, was she in prison at this point in France? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she said, my international connections are due to my work as a dancer and nothing else. I really did not spy. It is terrible because I can't defend myself. Mm-hmm. And then Maslov, who started this whole thing, refused to testify for her, saying he didn't care if she was convicted or not. Why? Um, he was angry because he was blind. Yeah. Literally, that is what it says here. Deeply embittered man as a result of losing his eyes. Um, and Don't appara- do that. Apparently, she fainted when she learned that he had abandoned her. Her defense counsel basically had no chance. Yeah, there was nothing they could say. No, he wasn't given permission to talk to any of the witnesses. Oh, wow. Um, he... It was all just a show, basically. To, like, this is... We're doing this fairly, but... yeah. One of the prosecutors said, without scruples, accustomed to making use of men, she is the type of woman who was born to spy. Uh, and that Except was... Except she wasn't, because she was very bad at it, apparently. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. So she did admit under interrogation to taking money to working as a German spy, but that she didn't actually have any intention of spying, and that her sympathies were always with the French. 
and and really uh, and there's been a lot there was a big dump of documents in 2001 from mi5 about her mm-hmm. um which there is the matahari foundation and they're trying to get her exon- exonerated now okay. um basically um this is what they have to say we believe that there are sufficient doubts concerning the dossier of information that was used to convict her warrant and re- warrants reopening the case Maybe she wasn't entirely innocent, but it seems clear that she was not a master spy whose information sent thousands of soldiers to their death. Yeah. I mean, one of the major issues was every time she said anything, they said, well, you've exaggerated and lied your entire life. Yeah. About who you are and what Mm -hmm. you've done. Yeah. So why wouldn't you... Why aren't you doing it? Why wouldn't you be doing this Why wouldn't you do it now? This is sufficient evidence to prove that you are... Yeah. Uh, She was found guilty after 40 minutes. (sighs) Um, also, the defense attorney was found to be a formal lover. Oh, that's not great. Um, uh, and the court judgment handed down against her described her as one of the greatest spies of the century, responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of soldiers. Yeah. On October 15th, 1917, she was shaken awake in her prison cell. Her time had come. She was allowed to write two more letters. <laughs> Um, she scribbled notes before donning black stockings, high heels, and a velvet cloak with a f- lined with fur at the bottom. Um, she was driven to Vincennes, where she was marched to a uh, marched to a stake, driven into a large field, Uh-oh. where she where stood a firing squad. She was walked to the stake. She walked to the stake on her own, refused a blindfold, raised the rifles, and she blew the soldiers a kiss as they killed her. There is a book by Leon Shermer who says, Marty Hari was not meant to be a spy. She served the French in their anti-German campaigns. She was nothing but a woman who loved enjoying her life and who didn't realize that at a time of war, nothing was the same as it was before. Mm. So that is the sad story. It's tragic. Of Mata Hari. It's like wrong place, wrong time. Who I think it's fair to say was a victim. Of everything. Of everything. Yeah. From top to bottom. Yeah, and just and just happened to land. I mean, I'm sure that in her era, stripping and things would have made it look like she was in control. Yeah, but well, not in the period. I mean, like, yeah, like the job, the like you. I guess you could technically make the argument that she was a, a successful self-employed person, but yeah, it ended up being that in that period of time, it wasn't really the career choice. No, um, that would that would especially age you in. Your innocence of a, but she. I mean, she was gorgeous, yeah. like gorgeous, and apparently unbelievable to watch. Mm. Uh, she was from the same school as Isadora Duncan, who maybe I'll talk about at some point. Okay, who's my one of my namesakes? But um, yeah, I mean, just tragic from top Unf- to bottom. An unfortunate circumstance. I actually didn't. I didn't know anything other than the fact that she. I. I don't even know this. I think she was a person who invented the da- dance with the seven scarves. Oh, okay. She, she like would start off with seven scarves on her body and she would take one off oh. and then get progressively more and more naked. Mm. I just kind of knew she was a spy and a dancer. But not really a spy. But didn't really realize what a horrible life she'd led. Yeah. Are they any closer to getting her exonerated? Um, most of the information I found was in the last few years. I, I don't think that... There should be much of a problem getting her exonerated. No, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like there's plenty of evidence saying, but, suggesting that the French basically set her up to... Well, yeah. Okay, the, the problem I can see with getting her exonerated would be that technically she was a spy. For the French, right? Yeah, but she did admit to taking German money. Right, which doesn't help. Even if she didn't, even if she didn't sell them any... You, the like fact that no one got any useful information out of matter. her doesn't it, yeah, matter. It doesn't matter. Perhaps, I think perhaps technically she was a spy. Yeah. I think it's utterly unfair to say that she was responsible for tens of thousands of yes, people's I would, death. I, would say. I think she probably was responsible for no deaths and yeah. probably a lot of very happy soldiers. Yes. Um, but That's, I don't know that technically on the account of... Being a spy. Being a spy... Yeah. That would just be the that would just be the hand she's she was dealt for her entire life with that was yeah. is that she would now be doomed to be in history be a famous a famous failed spy. I know. It's very sad. It is very tragic, unfortunate. Yeah. So that was a really depressing podcast yeah. we did. Thanks guys for listening. Um, Rate and review us on iTunes. <laughs> Do you want a mug? <laughs> so you can get a mug.
Be the light in the darkness. And... Let's do a let's do a light one. Okay, I have no ideas about what to do. Okay, so let's do light. Let's do a let's do a light, light one. Fa light fair. Light fair. Yeah, that's fine with me. I've been thinking I might do mermaids. Okay, but I've got a feeling that might end up being quite dark too. Yeah, if you turn up talking about like sirens and stuff, and I think there's probably a, a hard R word in there somewhere relating to how yeah. mermaids came to be. So. Yeah, I mean, I might do mermaids if I find a light, happy version of yeah, mermaids. I think even like the little mermaid, like the Hans Christian Andersen original story. Yeah, is a bit, Ooh, Hans oh. Christian Andersen was always a little. He was German, wasn't he? Uh -huh. <laughs> or no, he was Dutch. He was Dutch. He was Dutch. Because yeah. there's a statue of the little mermaid statue in Holland. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a bit of a tidbit. That was, on a, that was a pub quiz question. It was. So I don't know what we'll do. But we're going to record it soon. Yeah. And week. we'll see. And I'm thank you for sticking with us on what was quite a... Sort of drudgy episode. Well, it's interesting because last week was very um, matter of fact. Yeah, we said we wanted to do a storytelling episode. And I think we told some stories. Yeah. They, were just, they just weren't great ones. They were, they were great stories. Yeah. I mean, the story of Matahari is amazing. <laughs> I mean, guys, and if you don't know what she looks like, you absolutely should go Google her because... Or look at the cover art on our Instagram because she'll be on it. Uh, she's gorgeous. Mm, I don't um, know. I don't know what she looks like. And uh, and and I just she he, she reminds me of a Norma Jean, like a Marilyn Monroe, yeah. one of these girls that was just yeah swept up mm. and spat out. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, yeah, and so here we go. Anyway, positive one. Yeah, uh, as Adam says, rate and review. Yeah, rate and review us. Uh, any any review gets a gets a gets a mug. It does. It um, does. And send us a DM on Instagram if you want to chat, or send us an email or a message yep. through the website. Um, guys, have a good week. We'll see you next time. Yeah, and then the week after that's Christmas, so we'll be doing a Christmas episode. Mm. Krampus. I had dibs on Krampus like a yeah, month ago. He's already dibs on Krampus, so we got one episode to come up with between now and Christmas. All right, perfect. All right, bye. bye.